should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday June 7th, and there's a lot going on on TV right now, uh, or I should say this morning or this afternoon for some of you as we're taping this show, uh, and, 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 and I can't wait to talk about it later on this, uh, this evening, or I should say maybe tomorrow. Maybe John Zipper of the Commonwealth Club will pick it up tomorrow as far as uh, Russiagate goes. Um, certainly my Facebook's or social media feed has been filled with all your thoughts and comments. If you'd like to share them, you can head to michellemeow.com. We have a great program for you today. Uh, I, I, you know, this show is very used to bring different voices to the platform. So it's not always just all about progressive voices, even though that's the name of our network. Uh, but the Michelle Meow Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show, certainly has seen voices from the far right to the far left to the middle, especially when it comes to LGBTQ issues. But I think for this year, um, you know, we've kind of covered everything, every single issue uh, socially, if you will, uh, has been impacted in some ways. And it's an interesting administration, or I should say presidency, uh, that has us all uh, all over the place, uh, in my opinion, politically. And so I'm very excited for our guest today. Let's get the program started. The show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. John Zipper and I say here on the show all the time, do not lose sight of what's going on in your home state. Do not lose sight of what's going on even in the city that you, you live in, despite the executive orders or you know changes that, that the, this administration might be attempting to make as it impacts uh, certain rights, I guess you, you could say, it doesn't mean that you can't make a difference um, in your home state. And I say this all the time, don't miss those elections. And so our guest today, our special guest by phone, is running for Congress out of Arkansas. Uh, he is a Republican, but r- running on a progressive campaign. So let's find out what that means. I'd like to welcome Rob Ryersey to the program. Rob, thank you so much for being with us. For having me, uh, like I said, I, I'm I'm really interested in speaking to you. I, I read a couple articles about you. I mean, the, the thing that jumps out the most is uh, your position on on healthcare. Um, but before we get to talking about you know what specific specifically that means, I'd like to get your thoughts on kind of how the Republican Party has been. I think the definition of the Republican Party has shifted, especially with this presidency, and very 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 quickly. What are your thoughts on defining yourself as a Republican, you know, uh, 
today and even before this this presidency took uh, control of the country. Yeah, I'm a I'm a lifelong Republican. I've uh, been a Republican, you know, through throughout my whole life, and you know, all the way back to you know when I was a teenager. I went to teenage Republican school one summer for it, when I lived in upstate New York, and you know, I've I've been a Republican my whole life, but. Um, but really, I've been really concerned, especially over the last 20 years, just to see kind of a, a shift in the focus of the Republican Party. And then, you know, just, I mean, since the last election and the current administration, it seems like there's been an even bigger shift um, as uh, even away from that. And so, you know, my campaign and what I'm trying to do is, is I would love to see the Republican Party return to hit its historic values. I think that there's some great things that the Republican Party historically has stood for, and uh, and I and I think it would be important to have a, a good and robust conversation within the party about about what we really value, and uh, and I'd love to see us return to some of our historic values, and that means I'm I'm an independent Republican who is willing to challenge the uh, the current Republican orthodoxy on a on a whole host of issues because I think. There's a better way to look at it that's actually more in line with what the Republican Party has been historically. Do you think that you know that has a lot to do with uh, big money or or the culture wars that have you know taken focus over the years, especially uh, regarding the Republican Party? Those are you just nailed both uh, you know both nails on the head. You know that was. Those are the, the two biggest things. Um, the Republican Party used to be a party that was known for who it was for rather than who it was against. Um, and, you know, what, what's happened, especially over the last 20 years or so, with, you know, what I call big religion, uh, with the, the, the strength and the influence of, of big religion on the party, has really shifted the party in a way that, you know, it's lost sight of, uh, Historic values. I mean, like small and responsible government is out the window. Um, you know, the only thing that you know, we Republicans nowadays will grow the size of government, and and not just the size, but the influence and the intrusion of government, if it if it fits with their particular cultural agenda. And that's, I mean, it just shouldn't be that way. And then you're right about the the influence of of big money as well. The Republican Party used to be a party that stood for um, for the little guy and. Uh, and was a, a party that had solutions that would benefit all Americans, and and it seems recently that that and, and frankly, I think I think this is true of both parties, um, but there's far too much influence from corporate lobbyists, and uh, and and both parties, uh, the establishments of both parties, seem to be serving uh, their corporate interests first rather than people. Thank you for bringing that up. I agree. Um, as far as like, I mean, I should note this and, and make sure people who are listening uh, know this. You are also a pastor. So when it comes to talking about these culture war- wars and, and as it applies to the religious community, I mean, how do you talk about it and, as well as identify as an independent Republican when the majority of the party, you know, are just, uh, it seems, are uh, stay at one you know position when it comes to even issues like LGBTQ issues. Yeah, I you know I grew up in real strict fundamentalism. My uh, my grandfather was a Baptist pastor. My dad was a Baptist pastor, and and I kind of went into the family business um, after about ten years of, of pastoring churches up north in uh, 
in the denomination that I was a part of, the strict fundamentalist denomination, I went through kind of a real kind of crisis of faith, a, a dark night of the soul, and uh, and that led my wife and I to to move our family and and to to come here to to Northwest Arkansas to start a uh, a, a completely different kind of church, a church that um, that people could come to from all sorts of different perspectives and backgrounds. Uh, a church that um, that you know we don't see questions and doubts as uh, as antithetical to faith, um, and it's also a church where everyone is welcome. And when we say everyone, we actually mean it. And so we are uh, we're a church that welcomes all people without condemnation, regardless of their uh, regardless of their gender identity or their sexual orientation. Um, and and we are one of the really the few. Um, evangelical churches, we'd call ourselves a progressive evangelical church, we're one of the few evangelical churches in Arkansas that is, uh, that is welcoming and affirming of all people. And, uh, and so, you know, I, so that, it, it's interesting to kind of be both on the inside of, you know, the, the religious um, side of things, um, but then I, I think that gives me a unique perspective to, to kind of speak to what what is the problem with the influence of, um, you know, big religion on the Republican Party and, and, and on our political system as a whole? I can, I can kind of see it from the inside. Yeah, I thought so. I thought so, especially with Arkansas, you know, being the state that uh, in, in, a, in a lot of ways stood up to the religious freedom bills that were trying to be passed in the last couple of years. Um, I find, I mean, I, you know, for a red state like Arkansas, that people— outside of Arkansas might not see it as progressive as, as one would be in, in Arkansas. Would you argue that? Um, you know, I think there's, there's real pockets of, uh, of progressive communities in, in Arkansas. I mean, we are a, we are a bright red state. Um, and, you know, President Trump, um, you know, won 60% of the vote here. And, and, you know, we are, uh, we're a bright red state. And so, you know, we are, you know, trying to kind of be, Countercultural in a lot of ways um, to you know and, and and flow you know swim against the flow, but at the same time, I, I think there's a, a lot of people what I like to call social justice evangelicals here locally that care about things like the environment, they care about healthcare, they care about uh, poverty and immigration and, and caring for refugees, and they don't see they don't see those voices represented at all in. Um, you know the traditional Republican candidates that um, um, that that end up on the ballot, and so you know this part of the reason why I'm running is to to give voice to you know a, a group of younger um, traditionally Republican you know people who have grown up in the Republican Party, but but care about a lot of issues that aren't being represented by the party right now. Thank you so much for that. Uh, let's see. I have a I have a whole lot of questions. I want to get into this administration, but I'm not sure if I should start now or just go on a quick break. Let's go on a quick break, and then let's come back and let's talk about this administration, your campaign, and just kind of, you know, the, the how you're navigating the narrative and campaigning in, as as an independent Republican during this time. To, uh, so stay with us, okay? All right, babe. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. 
So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on the program. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. On the phone with us is Rob Ryersey. He is running for Congress out of Arkansas. And the interesting thing about Rob is he's a Republican, but running on a progressive platform. So, Rob, right before the break, I mentioned that uh, I wanted to talk about, you know, just kind of how you're navigating and campaigning during, you know, just this this political environment with the current administration um, defining the Republican Party as as something a little bit more I, I would consider radical uh, in a lot of ways. But especially when it comes to like health care. So say, for example, you know, the uh, President Trump had run on his campaign promising health care for all, especially, you know, his his voter base. But it's turning out that the health care program they're soliciting to pass or even repealing Obamacare would leave many or millions of Americans without care. Um, what are you know, kind of what are your thoughts? Because I know that you have a different take. Uh, I, I know you're on the other side, at least, of where the, uh, the president's at when it comes to health care. Yeah, and you know, I I I I love to hear the president talk about how you know when he spoke with the Australian Prime Minister and and said, hey, you know, your your system is is superior to ours because it's providing healthcare for everyone, and and even you know throughout the campaign, he he at times he talked that way, and then as it turns out, there you know the the president outsourced the action to the establishment, and the establishment was you know only cared about scoring political points with their base in uh, in in repealing and replacing uh, Obamacare uh, you know for me the um, the uh, 
the bill that passed the, the House a few weeks back could have been stopped by just three more independent Republicans. Uh, three more independent Republicans could have stopped a bill that puts 24 million Americans at risk, including 450,000 children here in Arkansas. Um, and, and I would have been one of the Republicans who would have uh, uh, who would have voted against that bill. Uh, you know, I personally think the Affordable Care Act is a, a step in the right direction, but I think we need to go further. I think we need a system that uh, that provides health care for that truly provides health care for all. I think there's good moral and economic reasons to em- embrace a, a a Medicare for all plan, and uh, and I'm on board with that. I'm I'm working with an organization, I'm part of a group called Brand New Congress that's running. Um, uh, many candidates across the country with one unified uh, plan and one unified platform, um, both Republicans, Democrats, and independents. Uh, but we've got one plan that we're working on together, and one of the central parts of that is making sure that every single American has health care. It uh, it's obscene and it's criminal that, um, that, that in a country like ours that, that people don't have the, the health care that they need mm-hmm. and that their, their health insurance is put... Uh, at risk by politicians that are putting their party establishments ahead of the needs of people. In a red state like Arkansas and, you know, in the media, um, lots of articles come out and talk about the working class and the working class not having, you know, uh, access to basic care, and basic needs, which is what President Trump was able to send a message and and, and it hit home. Um I, you know, I would love to hear your thoughts on those in a state like Arkansas who might be the working class uh, and kind of how you could either vouch for the fact that repealing Obamacare would 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 be a, a, a bad thing, you know, in terms of losing care. Um, or if you could, you know, I, I mean, we, we just heard you talk about we do need a system in place, the Obamacare or I should say Affordable Care Act really was a, good, a, a step in the right direction. But also what I'm not hearing are, you know, politicians or leaders or legislators talk about the problems of the Affordable Care Act. And, and in my opinion, that goes back to big money. It goes back to corporations and, and wasted dollars. I think every American wastes their income. There's an emergency. <laughs> I'm sorry about no, that. No, no, no. A fire truck driving by. Yeah, I want to make sure everybody's safe. Yeah, um, no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, but you know, if you're spending like twenty percent, I think is the figure uh, that it could it could shoot up to on wasted healthcare. Uh, that's not that I haven't heard any of that being addressed on either side. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right, um, and, and there's a there's a lot of different things. I mean, the the um, there's there's an like I said, I I think the Affordable Care Act was a step in the in the right direction. I in fact get my insurance through the Affordable Care Act and bought my insurance on the exchange because I went to work for a I work a full time job in in addition to uh, to pastoring co pastoring our church and uh, and and I went to work for a startup company and uh, that didn't provide insurance and so you know I've got a wife and four kids and and so you know we buy our insurance on the exchange. Uh, I think the I think the Affordable Care Act is a, a a good step in the right direction, but it it has some some fundamental flaws. I mean, frankly, as a Republican, the the mandate is a little bothersome to me. Um, you know, the idea that the government's going to tell me you know that what I have to do and how I have to spend my money is is bothersome. It it also seems like it is a system that is 
that is designed to um, ultimately to really profit insurance companies who are going to be able to, to drive up costs. And, and it, what it doesn't do is it doesn't help us address the cost of prescription drugs. It doesn't help us address the cost of, of, uh, of medical equipment and medical care. Uh, it allows simply for, um, uh, you know, for the, the rich to get richer. Uh, now, certainly the Republican plan that passed the House a couple of weeks ago was no solution to, to, to any of that. In fact, it's, you know, it's, much of it is a, a tax break for the wealthy. What I think, again, is that we need, to, we need to really move forward with a system that makes sure that all Americans have affordable health care. I think Medicare for all is the, is the right way to go that's, that's going to do that. And, and then, you know, you, you mentioned kind of the appeal that the president had with working class folks. Um, I think a lot of that is is a really kind of strong anti-establishment um, mm-hmm. uh, trend that exists across the country. You saw that with the Sanders campaign. You saw it with the Trump campaign. And frankly, you know, the the group that I'm working with at Brand New Congress, we're hoping to tap into that a little bit. Part of, A huge part of my message, and as I go around talking to, to folks here in Arkansas's third congressional district, I'm saying, that, listen, I'm going to be someone who's going to put people ahead of party. Um, and and that's what we need in Washington. We need an independent voice who's going to who's going to speak up and represent the people that live in this district, all of them, not just the large corporate donors, not just the special interest groups, not just the the few select friends that they have, but people who are willing to put the needs of people ahead of the desires of the establishment, the desires of the market. I guess that's what I wanted to hear was, you know, that exact thing you said about even just this replacement program that the president um, has presented or proposed in his administration that it, 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 yes, it's a big tax break. On that note, let's let's talk about a few other things that you're running on that can be considered a progressive agenda, such as the environment. I, I mean, the environment is a huge deal right now because it's not just about saving trees but this is literally you know about uh, lives it's about um just agreements that could put the country in a disastrous state what are your feelings or your thoughts about you know issues impacting the environment yeah i i first come just from uh, from my faith tradition and and and, and you know so, so many of my positions are well i'm not i'm not, <laughs> I, I, i'm not the kind of republican who thinks you know we need to take america back for jesus and, and that kind of thing but th- there's a, a number of positions that i have that that are informed by my faith tradition and and one of them is the need to care for for the environment uh, my faith tradition teaches that god gave us this this world to enjoy and to steward, uh, not to rape and pillage and consume and destroy, and uh, and it's so it's really bothersome to me to see uh, the administration taking steps that that move us away from the ability to care for creation like we should. Um, so I think you know staying in you know the Paris Agreement obviously is is you know kind of the the thing that's on everybody's mind right now. Uh, but beyond that, I think we need to have we need to have some some solutions and some ideas that are going to make a long term difference. And so that's why I'm really committed to doing everything we can to build a uh, a green energy economy. Um, I think that there's the opportunity for really high wage 
jobs that could exist in in the uh, a green economy, investing in in research and innovation that's going to have the benefits of not just protecting the planet, which is fantastic, but also creating jobs and uh, and being good for our economy. And so, uh, you know, in my concern for the environment, um, really, really kind of motivates me to want to see us. Um, uh, not just talk about it, but actually invest in the technologies that are going to that are going to sustain the planet long term. And what about? I mean, I, I have a few more questions before I let you go. I got to get it in there. Um, I really wanted sure. to ask. Uh, you know, in some ways, some people are asking me, "What's a progressive Republican anyway?" And you're answering it for us here on this show. Um, it, and that's the uh, question of immigration. I mean, immigration is also uh, being defined. And I think we redefine that every year when we talk about reform. I certainly am not saying as an American that we shouldn't have reform, but it seems like whatever's happening right now is, uh, in my opinion, unconstitutional and un-American. Uh, what are your feelings? Yeah, I I, I have a lot. Um, you know, in terms <laughs> in terms of in terms of immigration, I, w- I mean, I would be a good Republican if I didn't quote Ronald Reagan. I mean, I completely uh, believe in what President Reagan said that that we ought to be a shining city on a hill, and and you know, you don't do you don't put a big wall around a, sign, a shining city on the hill. Uh, I think I think the the idea of the wall is a a colossal waste of, of both money and energy and time. It's not going to solve any of our problems. We need to have a, a swift path of, for citizenship for folks that are here that are contributing to our, our society. We need to make sure that we've got um, uh, uh, tools in place that can help us uh, um, streamline the, the immigration process and make it better. Um, you know, E-Verify is an example, and I think it's a, a good plan. But ultimately, I really am bothered by the rhetoric that um, dehumanizes people, um, the rhetoric that divides people. Um, that's that, that's not American. That's not the that's not the kind of country we are. And I'm really I'm really bothered by it. Now we can also go a step further, and you know, we talk about the travel ban with refugees and people from. Um, from different countries around the world. I totally agree with you that it is, that it's unconstitutional. Uh, my church is, was involved in um, settling a ref- refugee family, uh, a Muslim family from Iraq that um, that we, a group of, of people in my church, were on literally on the front lines of of finding an apartment for them and furnishing it and and picking them up at the airport and helping them learn English and find jobs. And you know what? The, this this wonderful Iraqi family, they are nothing like the stereotypes that you hear from people fear-mongering on television and mm-hmm. the talking heads. That, they talk in all these general terms about all oh, these terrible people who are going to come to our country. You know, the reality is that I've met some. They live in the city that I live in. And they are they're wonderful people that are just trying to make life better for their families. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 I've I've had the chance to see, you know, some of my best friends involved in their lives helping get them settled here in, in our community. And it's just the reality is so different from the fear mongering that, that happens from the from the, the chattering class on television. I think that that's the one of the the, the biggest dangers um, of the president and his administration is to to kind of impose that type of fear mongering on everyday people. I mean, for example, myself, my parents uh, immigrated here or were refugees 
and were sponsored by Christians. And the, you know, and so my parents were Buddhists um, from a Southeast Asian country. And I mean, it goes back to kind of some of the, the things that you had talked about in which the Republican Party and or religious community had, st- had stood on in this fundamental uh, principle of love and compassion, I guess is what I'm trying to say, which gives me hope for the Republican Party. And so my <laughs> last question for you is as a Republican, um, you know, someone from a red state obviously have has constituents who... Uh, you know, aren't as left as I am, uh, probably have supported the president. I mean, do you think that uh, there is there is an answer for the Republican Party? And, 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 I'm, and I'm saying this because I don't believe that every Republican thinks it's okay to support a, any politician who, uh, you know, allegedly has, has in, involved themselves in unpatriotic, in my opinion, not you know uh, uh, what could become crimes or corruption or betrayal of the country. I mean, I don't think that those are characteristics of the Republican Party. So I kind of wanted to throw that all in a bowl and see what you're going to say about it. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, yeah, I've, I think we uh, the Republican Party is is really at a crossroads, and uh, and 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 part of my motivation for running and being a part of brand new Congress and this postpartisan. Uh, attempt to uh, kind of change the tone of, of politics in America. Um, part of the reason why I was I'm motivated to do this is because I don't I don't, I don't want to sit on the sidelines and 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 just kind of see what happens. I mean, in the days after the election, I had so many I had these I had the same conversation with so many different friends, and over and over again, people would say to me, "We've got to do something. We've got to do something." And I have seen my friends do stuff. I've seen them. Go to protests and 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 write their representatives and and post things on social media and be active and vocal in ways that they hadn't before. I'm the kind of person that, and if we're going to do something, we might as well do something big. So let's, you know, the problem right now here is is our congressman, and and we are in a very, you know, red district, um, and so the best chance we have to beat him is in the Republican primary. I'm a lifelong Republican who's willing to put people ahead of the party. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw my hat into the ring and and hope and, and pray that there's enough um, there's enough independents and, and Democrats and and and, and independent minded Republicans that are willing to, to see that hey this is an opportunity for us in our district here in Arkansas's third congressional district to, to make a difference and make a change. We've got to start somewhere. We've got to do something. Let's do this. We can we can send a message in May of next year to the establishment that uh, that you know we're we're tired of of them putting money and their own interests ahead of the needs of people and and we're not going to take it anymore and and the change starts now. Rob, I want to thank you so much for taking time to speak to us here on the Michelle Miao Show. Uh, congrats, and I should say good luck. Uh, in Arkansas, and um, I'm, I'm very happy and glad that we are able to have this conversation and dialogue. It does give me hope for the future of America. Thanks, Michelle. And I, could I just mention, if people want to learn more, they could go to rob2018.com. It's rob, R-O-B-B, 2018.com. Perfect. Thank you, Rob. Take care. Thank you, Michelle. Don't go away. When we come back, the show continues with so much more. 
The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought leaders. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this program. I, I really do uh, truly genu genuinely am grateful and thankful for Rob Ryersey's time. Um, I think the importance there is just being able to have a conversation. Uh, there's got to be a way where we can unite those who, I guess, yeah, like we're anti-establishment. And I think lots of progressives who tune into Progressive Voices Network would agree that we've got to do something about the corruption of our country and those who chase big money, cho those who, uh, you know, are, are I, in my opinion, are corrupting the political process by big money. Um, so thank you, Rob, for those thoughts, and, and truly good luck. He's running against uh, another Republican, and I would say an even more far-reaching right Republican um, I think he has a good chance, so good luck to him. The rest of the half hour, I think I'm going to play uh, some interviews since it's Pride Month that I think are relevant. I'm still in a high from an incredible miniseries that was featured on ABC. Uh, the reason why is because it's specifically about San Francisco LGBTQ history and Pride is coming up for San Francisco this year is a, uh, a theme that I personally really enjoy, and it's, it's a celebration of diversity. I don't think that, you know, we always need to come together for a resistance message. I think a celebration of diversity is resistance against this administration, and especially for those of us who are other, as I keep talking about, and other would mean someone that wouldn't necessarily be chosen or picked for Donald Trump's cabinet or administration. If you're not a wealthy billionaire, um, you know, or, or yes, a lot of people are going to use 
race in this if you're not white. Um, but I think, in my opinion, anti-establishment really comes down to anti-big money or big money. I mean, a lot of those people get rich you know, by corruption, in my opinion. I'm always going to say that. I don't want to get into trouble. It's just my opinion. Who cares? If, <laughs> if you have an opinion, you, you can go to michellemeow.com and let us know. Or uh, get a mic and, and produce a show um, and put stuff out there. We need more of it. So anyway, I'm going to play an interview from Ken Jones, who is an activist that was featured in When We Rise. I feel like, you know, those people uh, or activists like Ken Jones need the platform. Um, I, and Cleve Jones has got an incredible platform already, but, you know, I just want to make sure that the other activists are continuing in your mind and that the images of people of color, queer people of color during the equal rights movement, the liberation movement are not erased. So enjoy this interview. Ken, thank you so much for joining me. This is such an incredible honor. Well, thank you so much for inviting me down here today to talk about uh, the ABC TV miniseries, mm -hmm. When We Rise, mm -hmm. that is due to drop in February 2017. We're getting close, Michelle. And uh, we're all very, very excited about this opportunity. Right, right. It's such a gift to the LGBTQ community. Um, and I think perfect in terms of timing, uh, as far as how much people are consuming our, uh, you know, our history. Uh, and I say our as an LGBTQ. So your story is told through When We Rise, and you're the Ken Jones, who is Harvey Milk's <laughs> friend, and you worked with him in City Hall. You're an activist yourself, um, the first African-American board president of the San Francisco Pride Organization, or I should say at that time it was the um, uh, San Francisco LGBT uh, Pride Celebration Committee. So uh, Michael K. Williams plays you. How do you feel about that? I mean, Michael K. Williams, he is so gritty and he's raw and he's energetic. And I, I just watched him last night at uh, HBO's the new hit miniseries, the night of. Yes. So how do you feel about yes. Michael K. Williams playing he you? He is such an exciting human being with just a huge heart. And Michelle, he really wanted to get this story correct. He put his body through some physical changes you wouldn't believe. He lost 35 pounds uh, portraying me when I was not very uh, healthy. Mm. And uh, he just brings so much passion. He's actually just the perfect person for this role. And uh, I think that what you will see in When We Rise, in my story, is kind of three themes. And the first, it's a, a short little story. When I was eight years old, I was on the field in grammar school playing track and field. I had run the 100-yard dash, and I had won. And one of the losers came over in front of the entire group and said, you know what, Ken? You run just like a girl. And he put up his hands, and he went running like this. This is 1958, Michelle. I was devastated, you mm -hmm. know, devastated mm -hmm. when the world stops when you see nothing, when you can hear your heart and feel your pulse. And I was never the same child. Mm. I got into the pattern of I wanted to be the best boy in the world so that God would change me. 
God was an influence in my growing up, and I kept praying, change me. I didn't know anything about preference or orientation, but I knew I was different. Mm -hmm. And I kept praying that God would change me, and Michelle, God didn't change me. It took me about 50 years to get it so clearly that God created me just like I am. And what God needed for me was for me to rise up, own that difference, step out in that difference to make the world a better place. And not only for those who are with us now, but for all those who are gonna walk these paths in the future. I want kids all over America to know that, you know, step out in it, own it, you're different. Mm -hmm. And we hope that the parents get the skills that they need to be able to to foster these precious lives. So that's a value of me, and I hope it's the contribution I can make in terms of kids addressing the issue of bullying. Well, absolutely, it's uh, the fruits of your labor are showing you know, today and now, and, and to have a project like When We Rise get funded and, and get shown on ABC. I, mean, I know, who would have thought? <laughs> who would have thought? Did when you think it would happen? Never, when we were little ragtag leftists, that even the gay community would rather us be invisible. Mm -hmm. And that's a part of the story too. The person playing me as young Ken is Jonathan Majors. Mm -hmm. And you're gonna hear this name a great, great deal. He's another phenomenal actor. And when he landed the role, he wrote me an email and he said, Ken, I just Googled you and nothing came up. And I said, well, welcome to my world. I've been invisible for a very long time. And then I said, and I always thought that Meryl Streep would be playing me in the miniseries, but it is what it is. <laughs> I would want Meryl Streep playing me too. <laughs> I love her. Um, so I'm sure the kid was a little bit shocked, but we met a couple days later up in Vancouver, and uh, he's just a phenomenal actor. You're going to be mm -hmm. hearing a great deal about mm -hmm. him. So we do address the issue of racism in the gay community, and the many hundreds of meetings I attended and chaired where I was the only person of color in attendance. I was going to ask you, you know, what was it like being an out gay black activist for LGBT rights in the late 70s? Um, what was that like here in San Francisco even? I wasn't sure what I was doing, but I knew I had this yearning in my heart to respond. I knew that all the images I was seeing of gay people were white men. I even remember my early dealings with uh, the Board of Supervisors in the uh, early 80s when they weren't, some of the African-American supervisors couldn't believe that I was running around proud. He's proud that he's gay? Do you believe this character? What is this? And then I had the unfortunate experience along the way of finding myself in conflict with the African-American community about drug use. Specifically, I, it landed on my desk that we needed a city-sanctioned needle exchange program. We knew that needle exchange, from other countries, we had compelling interest that sharing needles reduce infection of AIDS. We know that. Mm -hmm. And of course, the black community kind of felt like, 
I was uh, condoning drug use in the community, not caring about their youth, and it became seriously competing interests. Everything that you're saying is correct, but we're also talking about lives, and we think we know what we can do about saving lives. Mm -hmm. And before we get too off track, but what I brought to that discussion at the time, I was president of the board of YES. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Youth Environment Studies. Um, it gave way to what was called the Mid-City Consortium to Combat AIDS. I was the president of the board, and we were looking at homeless youth and the hate who had come here as part of the love movement um, and found themselves with no jobs, no family, no home, no structure, no health care, no nothing. And uh, the YES project became a federal demonstration project. We actually got federal money, if you can believe this, to demonstrate that community health outreach workers, people that you pay to go out on the street to become involved in the lives of these street people, and this was a radically different approach from waiting in your office as a social worker for these clients to come to you. Mm -hmm. It was a totally different experience to become wedded in their lives and to bring up things like, well, maybe we go see a doctor tomorrow. Or maybe have you thought of enrolling in this? It was a way of bringing about behavioral change. And I had kind of seen this intravenous drug use virus that was traveling through Miami, New York, LA. So when it came here, I was kind of primed already mm -hmm. to do something. I knew the magnitude of this thing. And uh, again, it was the competing interests. In the early days, we struggled hard, Michelle, with the basic question of, do we scare people to change their behavior, scare the wits out of them, mm -hmm. or? Do we give them enough accurate information to make decisions? The two camps felt very passionate about both of those. And I think you're going to see that discussion as part of when we rise. And again, mm -hmm. it was about us rising in the midst of what was just absolutely horrible. Right. Everyone around us was sick, dying. I mean, you felt like you needed to do something. No one had the option of sitting this out. Mm -hmm. It was uh, totally devastating for our community. And through that all, Michelle, all the headlines were talking about how white the epidemic was. In terms of how the San media and saw how the, media, the epidemic? How the media saw the epidemic, mm -hmm. which was very interesting to me because I was one of the first volunteers at the Capacity Sarcoma Research and Education mm -hmm. Foundation. I was the first paid volunteer director at the AIDS Foundation, I was the one who thought, well, you know what, rather than it be me against the world, let's form the Third World AIDS Advisory Task Force, and we'll create a body of other stakeholders. So it's not just me, mm -hmm. but I bring the voice of hundreds. Mm -hmm. And uh, we never really changed the perception of the media about who owned this epidemic. Uh, but we've been there from the very beginning. 
which has been invisible to a lot <laughs> of people until yeah, I guess now that uh, there is a you know global interest in LGBTQ rights and our history. I wanted to ask you a question. And I thought that it was interesting, and this is part of you know the invisibility part, right? Um, when I was reading up about When We Rise and the activists uh, who were involved in the miniseries, um, I was a little surprised that one of Harvey Milk's friends or so someone who worked with Harvey Milk was an African-American gay man. Uh, in my mind, especially in the movie Milk with Sean Penn, most of the characters were white. So what was it like working with Harvey Milk being, you know, I guess, invisible and limited at that time? And there weren't a lot of activists that we know of that we're now reading about who were there this entire time. Michelle, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As an activist, mm -hmm. it is my job to hold legislators like Harvey Milk mm -hmm. accountable. And I took great pride in grabbing his chitakumbums. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a part of why I was invisible as well. I was so far to the left that it was hard for the gay media to embrace it. The African-American community definitely didn't embrace it. And mainstream media just wouldn't embrace it. What we did have in our favor at the time was a publication. Have you heard of Coming Up? Nope. There was a women's newspaper by a uh, owner, Kim Cassaro. Mm -hmm. You can look this up later. Do you know Kim? Yes, through uh, the Bay Times. Through the Bay, that's right. Coming Up later became the Bay Times. Yeah. And she was covering the issues related to women and people of color. And that was also an important coalition that was formed. When we started doing our social change work, both women and people of color found ourselves needing to fight to participate. And somewhere along the line of the fight, we thought, well, you know, we're in this to win it. You're in it to win it. And I think that one of the strongest coalitions that we formed was that of women and people of color in this epidemic. And we were able to, to kind of shape the responses of uh, this city to this crippling epidemic. Mm -hmm. And that's when I found and fell in love with Pat Norman, who was the first uh, lesbian gay health services coordinator for the city and county of San Francisco. This was a real big to do. And she was an African-American woman. And uh, uh, we were struggling hard at the time. Pat, like Michael K. Williams, is a person of integrity. And when they've made up their mind and their hearts, watch out. <laughs> we will be watching in February when when we rise ABC's new miniseries comes out and uh, again what an honor to have you here I have one last question for yes, you before I let you go uh, you have been involved and had been an activist and we were joking right before we started this interview that it's been a span of 
40 years even. We're now here in 2016. And there is a, a big network that has taken an interest in telling your story. I think one, one, one question I'd like to ask is, do you think we've come a long way? And then, you know, a follow-up to that would be, how do you feel about the progress that we've made? And is it enough? I, um, I had this conversation not too long ago with someone around race. And they asked, well, in 50 years, surely there's been some progress made, right? And I thought about it, and I said, yes. In 50 years, there has been some tremendous progress made. And in 50 years, there have been some issues where there has been no movement. Mm -hmm. um, when I still think of African Americans and North American society, Kids do not have access. Every child born today does not have the same degree of access. And it's a shame and a pity that your zip code can kind of determine your future. Mm -hmm. uh, we, can, we can be a better America and we know it. Mm -hmm. And we've got to get back to somehow, and again, it's that theme about when we rise, that, um, you know, you can't sit this one out. Uh, 50 years ago, Martin Luther King Jr. talked about the dream. Well, I'm shaking you right now. The dream has turned into a nightmare. Wake up. Mm. Rise. That's what, when we rise, is what is able to tear down those massive walls of homophobia. When we rise, we're able to tear down those walls of racism, to tear down the walls of hatred when we rise, but we need you to rise. Mm -hmm. We need you to rise. And this nightmare that we're in, it belongs to all of us. None of us has the opportunity to sit it out. It's time to rise, our future depends on it. And not only for those who are with us now, Michelle, but for all those who are gonna walk these paths in the future, we gotta rise. Ken, you are such an inspiration to me. And again, what an incredible honor to, mm -hmm. to listen to you speak so passionately. I look forward to watching When We Rise and seeing your story be told. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Don't go away when we come back. Final thoughts. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care serving your community. 
This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday, June 7th. I was very excited to speak to Rob Ryersey, who's running for Congress in Arkansas as an independent Republican, uh, and, and to hear him talk about conservative values, but in a way that is not what we know it for today. It has been mind-boggling for me for uh, a lot of Republicans to stand on this administration's I'm not even going to say beliefs. I truly think that for the Betsy DeVos, the Ben Carsons, the Jeff Sessions, like all those people make these decisions based off of money, 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 money. These guys are making money somewhere, somehow. Um, and, uh, you know, the powers that be that can hold them accountable for these actions that, in my opinion, could throw them in jail. They should be jailed for that. Uh, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm generalizing all of them. I'm not saying that all of them are alleged criminals, by the way, but I'm saying that a good number of them, especially the president himself, is pretty corrupt. Uh, and I think that we can say that here on the Progressive Voices Network. Uh, but to have, you know, these candidates or regular everyday Americans who can talk and articulate about values, issues that matter to us, get to a neutral space where we can vote on issues and and not so much on, you know, party line that moves the country forward. So it was very refreshing to hear from a Republican candidate talk about immigration the way we're supposed to talk about it, or I should say talk about it in an American way, and also a conservative uh, religious member or uh, religious community member a pastor for, for that, talk about LGBTQ issues and talk about an open church, talk about compassion, talk about the environment. You know, these are all issues that impact us as human beings. It's not a Republican or, or a Democrat issue. It's a human issue. And we've got to get this country back to the right track in moving forward. If you have thoughts or ideas as to, you know, what we can be talking about or a guest or an interview or you'd like to be a guest on the show, head to michellemeow.com. I replayed the entire audio that I did with activist Ken Jones, whose life was highlighted in the ABC miniseries When We Rise, adopted by Cleve Jones's uh, memoir that he published this year. 
And I think that Ken's story is just so significant. When we talk about diversity in our community and we talk about inclusion, oftentimes we make the mistakes of only looking at people or categorizing them by, you know, the, the color of their skin or their gender, and then we leave it at that. But these boxes shouldn't just be checked off. We really should look at human beings and their experiences as diversity. Diversity encompasses it all. And as Kimberly Crenshaw had coined the term, intersectionality does play a role. So in my opinion, I feel like I could replay the Ken Jones interview over and over and over to make sure that people understand that for people of color who are LGBTQ, when we're talking about LGBTQ history, it's not what mainstream is putting out there. So we'll never forget, and we should be inclusive of activists like Ken Jones. Um, until tomorrow, my friends, hopefully the guys over at TransStation will be here in studio doing another fantastic TransStation uh, radio show. Like I said, for everything else, you can head to michellemeow.com.